may find following disturbing discretion is advised Welcome, everyone, to another episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. My name is Aldo Gandia, and week seven for the Chicago Bears, anyway, starts right now with this show. Let me bring in Greg. Greg, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm especially happy today because we've got a very special guest, somebody that you used to uh, brush shoulders with in the weight room, on the way to the weight room, and this guy was uh, <laughs> <laughs> was working on the guns, right? <laughs> all the time. No, I'll tell you one thing about Thomas Jones, consummate pro. Yeah. If, if, if that's the one thing that sticks out, you know, he's a pro's pro. Yeah. And all the players that we've talked to over the years have nothing but great things to say. And he's got this media empire that he's working on. And there he is right now. Thomas <laughs> Q Jones, as he's known in the entertainment world as a football player, it was just Thomas Jones. Now he's Thomas Q Jones. Did you change your name because of a sad after thing? Somebody else had that name? <laughs> no, no, I actually changed it because uh, once I became an actor and a producer, um, I, I wanted to kind of distinguish Thomas Q. Jones, the actor, producer, uh, entrepreneur um, from Thomas Jones, the NFL player. And mm -hmm. so the, the Q is it's, it's the middle my middle initial, which is uh, the, my middle name is Quinn. So Thomas Q. Jones, um, it just kind of gives me a different um, a different brand you know, outside of Thomas Jones, football player, as opposed to what I'm doing now. Very cool. Thomas, how did you get involved in entertainment business after your football life was over? I uh, retired in 2012, and, and I was really just kind of lost, to be honest. I, I, I didn't have anything that I was really am, ambitious or passionate about outside of football. Um, you know, it, and it's very, very difficult, you know, when you play a, a, a sport like that for that long, 12 years. I mean, it's a lot of time and effort, and, and um you know, a lot that you're putting into it. And so uh, you don't really have time to really pursue anything else. But sometimes you don't really think about that until you're out of the league and you're like, whoa, you know, I don't have practice anymore. I don't have games. I don't have training camp. I don't have off-season program. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to bump into some really cool people uh, in Miami, uh, and they allowed me to produce a project with them, a TV series. Uh, and I also took a small little acting role in it. And one of the actors that I was working with, his name's Clifton Powell, legendary actor, he's been some, in, some, in some really big, huge TV shows and films over the years. Uh, he thought that I had some natural talent, so, um, you know, he suggested I take acting seriously. And, um, you know, I, I took him up on it. Uh, I ended up getting a manager in 2013 um, and then finding um, a couple of opportunities, you know, in... in acting opportunities and I booked a few roles and then I decided to take it very seriously in 2014 and uh, signed with an agency, moved to LA um, and then I started off on my journey. So you're in LA right now? Well, I actually live in LA and I live in Miami. Um, okay. So I have a place, a place in LA and a place in Miami. I've been in Miami for a long, long time. Um, but I was, in, I was in LA probably consistently from 2014 up until COVID. And then when COVID hit, you know, everything just... 
you know, changed a little bit. So I was able to come back and forth to Miami. So, yeah. Do you, do you still have that great car collection? Yeah, I have a couple of them. I have a couple of them. <laughs> you know, I, um, you know I, at this point now, you know, I'm, I'm more into uh, collecting TV shows and, uh, you know, collecting pro- Hollywood projects. So I, I kind of traded some of those cars in for some, some Hollywood projects. <laughs> Well, you know, it's 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 related to what you, uh, Greg, just asked you about your post-pro football career. That's sort of the subject, or is is the subject of your new uh, Netflix, uh, or ex- actually, it's Amazon Prime series. I'm, I'm confusing uh, Lucas Cage that was on network, and you played Comanche on it. it was a fabulous, fabulous role. You've been in a, a number of uh, great roles since your retirement. But tell us about the new project with Amazon. Yeah, so I have a new project uh, that that will premiere October 18th on uh, on Amazon Prime. It's called Life After, and it's a docu series that follows 12 former NFL players uh, and our lives post uh, NFL. Um, it dives into um, some of the struggles some guys have in transitioning. You know, like I mentioned earlier, you know, when you have um, so many years in the NFL and so much of that in your system. A lot of guys have a hard time transitioning and finding something else that they're ambitious about or finding something else that they feel that they can be as successful uh, in. And so this docuseries, it follows 12 different uh, NFL players. All of them have different post-football journeys. Um, so you get to dive into what that you know looks like when it's these 12 guys. That's you got Spice Adams involved in that? Yeah. Yeah, Spice Adams is, is one of the 12 <laughs> players. Uh, his story is incredible. Um you know, obviously going from, from the NFL and now he's a huge social media sensation and, and, and personality. Um, and it's, it's funny because a lot of these guys, um, you know, they're have, they have big personalities. They, they're, they're already wired to be great at anything that they, uh, that they touch. Um, but football is such a very specific, um, job and, and it's so time consuming and so intense that you know you don't if you if you focus on your post career while you're playing in the NFL you're going to be in your post career fairly quickly. Um, so you have to give the NFL as much of your time as possible. But when you see these guys like Spice and some of the other guys that are that are part of this series, um, you can just tell that from their personalities that they just have what it took to be successful in anything outside of football. You know what I find amazing is that. Guys like yourself and and with Spice now, Spice you know used to be a neighbor of mine, uh, lived across the street and and down a little bit and, and the, how they've grown since they've got out of football, and to use their personality and their wherewithal to grow in in, in another field, I just think is really amazing. But it says a lot about you guys as people. Yeah, definitely. It says a lot about who we are as people and also what the NFL teaches us. Just, you know, just all the basic principles of, uh, that you need for success, you know, just hard work, dedication, discipline. Uh, all, all of our, all of us as, as NFL players, we, are, we have that in us uh, naturally. And so anything we pursue, um, we're going to apply those same characteristics. It's just finding what we're ambitious and passionate about. Uh, you have guys like Spice Adams who, you know, is a social media personality. Um, but then you'll have a guy like Justin Forsett, who actually created uh, a hygiene product um, while he was in the NFL. Uh, the idea came to him off of a basic joke that we always have in the locker room. Uh, if a guy decides to 
uh, not take a shower right after practice. He did, he decided to take a shower at home uh, in the locker room. Called that he, he took a shower pill. Um, so um, he used that joke and he turned it into a multi-million dollar company. Um, so, you know, we've got some really, really intelligent guys, smart guys. And also this series is, is, is hopefully an effort to debunk some of the stereotypes about NFL players and, you know, us being one dimensional um, and only being able to do one thing because there's so many of us that are super talented. You know, uh, Thomas, if I can butt in and ask this question, there is a level of physicality as a professional football player that is unlike any other job that I can think of. And so once uh, you retire, is there a void in terms of, wow, I, I need to hit something? I need, and, and how do players replace that? Is it just in the gym or do you have to go through some kind of mental transformation that all of that hitting is now a part, uh, past uh, in my life? Yeah, that's, that's a great, uh, great point. A lot of guys have a hard time separating themselves from the physical element of the NFL, the violence of the NFL. It's just like anything else. If it becomes your norm, then that's what you're going to be used to doing. Um, unfortunately, you know, when you retire, you can't just punch a guy in the face over a parking spot. <laughs> you know, you're going to go to jail. Uh, but in the NFL, you know, if a guy shoves you in the back, you know, you can turn around and punch him in the face. It's a 15-yard penalty. It's with it's it's within the world of of uh, of our job, and so it is a psychological uh, shift that has to be made once you retire. Um, acting helped me; um, it was it became therapeutic for me because it gave me an opportunity um, to to take on something that's challenging emotionally. Um, it gave me an opportunity to be around different people with different perspectives. Um, you know, the locker room is a very unique place. You know, the conversations, the energy. Um, it's, it's a very unique place to be. And, and that energy just doesn't die when you retire. <clears throat> it's still there because that's what you've been used to, especially if you're used to playing in the NFL for, you know, a number of years. So yeah, a lot of guys have to talk to people, you know, it's good. I would suggest getting therapy, um, seeing therapists, finding someone that you can talk to, that you can actually unload all this stuff. Um, and that way, you know, as you move, move forward, at least, you know, you've done the best you can psychologically to put yourself in a new space. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Thomas, because I look at it this way. And, you know, I played football until I was 31 years old. Then I got involved in scouting and, and front office work. But it's really about the void is is a competitive void. You stop playing the game and then all of a sudden that you, you've been involved in a competitive atmosphere most of your life. So now you need something new to replace that competitive atmosphere. And it's just all you did is transfer that to a new area and acting. And now you, you're competitive and trying to be the best you can be in that new chosen field. Is that a correct way of saying it? Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's that, that competitive spirit. I mean, we're, we're, we're playing for Super Bowls and championships and contracts and Pro Bowls and all pro selections. So uh, there's always something um, to fight for, to compete for in the NFL. You're competing for your job. Um, you know, one injury could cost you your career. Someone comes in and takes your job and you get released and now you don't get picked up again. So the stakes are always high as an NFL player. And uh, for me, acting was something that was right up my alley because it is very competitive. Um, the odds of you making it in this business are very slim. Um, you have to be disciplined to end up being successful. You have to be hardworking. You have to be creative. Um, and those are all the things that I 
use to be successful in football. So for me, that made it more of a seamless transition. I was fortunate to, fortunate, fortunate enough to find acting, but unfortunately, a lot of guys don't find something like that. Thomas, uh, during your career, uh, you had ups and downs when you were first uh, drafted into the league. Uh, I actually remember hearing the word bust associated with Thomas Jones. And here in Chicago, Justin Fields has gotten off to a slow start to his professional career. He hasn't lived up to the expectation of some analysts and some fans and so forth. And we're actually starting to hear bust. I mean, I was on social media today and Justin Fields can't do this. It can't do that and so forth. What if you had an opportunity to talk to Justin Fields, what would you say to him about all of that noise? Um, I would say don't listen to it. Um, I mean, listen, everyone, every, every, every person is different. You know, certain people will use that as motivation. Um, and then for other people, they could just continue to uh, destroy their confidence. Uh, and I don't know him personally. I don't know the type of person he is or the, or the type of, uh, motivation he needs uh, to be successful. But personally, when I was in Arizona, uh, I knew I wasn't a bust. I knew that I had the talent uh, to be successful at that level. Uh, I just knew that I was going through a tough time and I was having to adjust. And I was also in a place that I didn't feel necessarily w was was best fit for me. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, what I did was I just blocked it out. Uh, I understood it was around me because, I mean, you're the seventh overall pick and you know, you have 300, I think 70 yards your rookie year. Um, yeah, you know, people are going to be down on you. Uh, but I never gave up on myself. I never gave up on my ability. I realized I was good enough to make it here. I'm good enough to stay here. And so I continued to fight and continue to work hard. Uh, and I was also accountable, you know, for my, uh, my issues and things that I needed to work on. When I came out in the draft, I was about 212, 215. Um, and after training camp, by, by the time we get to the regular season, I was 210, 209. Um, that, to me, that just wasn't big enough to be a 25, 30 carry game back. So I needed, I needed to put on weight. So I dedicated myself to the weight room, got a nutritionist, trainer, um, and I put on 20 pounds um, because that was something I needed to do to, to be able to, um, you know, stand a 16-game season. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, I, I, I think it's important for him to watch his own film, see what he can do better, continue to work um, and, and block out the noise. Because I was in Arizona, which is a smaller market, um, but Chicago is a, a, a bigger, bigger situation for a 21 year old kid um, to be under that amount of pressure. So I was told to block it out and just continue to believe in the, in the same things that um, allowed him to be drafted at that pick. Greg, you got another one for him? Well, he's, he's said it all, and, and I, I really <laughs> appreciate a lot of things that he said. And, and the one thing that, that hit me right when he said, he said, well, I knew I had to get bigger, I had to get stronger, I had to put on weight. But you did it the right way. And I don't know if Rusty had anything to do with it because you might have, I, I don't remember what your weight was when you came to us. Uh, but it, it's putting on good weight. It's putting on muscle weight and not fat weight. And the, the one thing I remember about you when you were with the, with us here in Chicago is that you, you were very, you know, frame-wise, a very solid frame. You had good weight. You had low percentage of body fat. So the weight you carried was good weight. You got bigger, but you got bigger in the right way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in Arizona, after my rookie year, um, you know, I had broken ribs and 
you know, the, the Arizona trainers misdiagnosed me. So I had a lot of things that I was, that I was dealing with uh, psychologically. Um, and so I, ha- I had to regroup in the off season and, um, and I ended up getting another trainer nutritionist. And so I put on about 10, 15 pounds after my second, my first year. Um, so by the time I got to Chicago, I was already at 230, 235. That's where I was comfortable playing. Um, but I was very disciplined. Um, I was just so disciplined with my diet. I didn't even eat ketchup. I didn't eat mustard. I mean, mustard. Like I was kind of, I became obsessed with being successful. I became obsessed with regaining, um, you know, the respect that I had earned throughout my entire football career, high school and college. Uh, I was I was obsessed with being great, and regardless of whatever I needed to do, um, I was going to do, I was going to do whatever I needed to do to get back there. And so uh, it starts mentally, you know. Even for Justin, it's a, it's a mental thing. You know, you're in Chicago, you're in the gift of the curse of Chicago is it's the probably the best city to play NFL football, the best city. Um, but on the on the flip side, if you're not playing well, um, you know you probably wish you weren't there, um, you know, but, 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 but that's also why we're getting paid. That's, that comes with the job description. Um, that's part of it. It's high, you know, high stakes at all times. So um, I wish the kid the best. Um, you know, I think they have a good nucleus of players. It just feels like they, they haven't been able to put it all together. Um, but you see some of these teams like the Jets and I don't watch much football. I see a lot on social media mostly, but you know, teams like the Jets and the Giants, you know, who, People didn't think they were going to be much this year. And then all of a sudden now they're winning teams. And that's the NFL, though. You know, that's the NFL. You know, it's all about every – what is that movie, uh, Any Given Sunday? Mm-hmm. It's literally Any Given Sunday. You never know what team's going to show up. If you don't show up, you're not going to win. It doesn't matter who you're playing. It's still the best football players in the world on each team. Um, and it's about gelling at the right time, having some luck, and and and, and being as injury-free as possible. So – who knows? You know, the season's not over yet. You know, Justin and the team. It's or one, one third through the season. we got a long way to yeah, go. Yeah, but, but, well, as players, we're not, you know, we're not, well, I know as a player, I wasn't thinking we don't ever have a chance. You know, obviously, there's always something to play for. Um, you know, not just your check, but your pride and your integrity as a football player. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think if they, uh, I think if they, they can just, you know, keep working hard. And, um, and figuring out what their real issues are. Because it's usually when you're losing like that, it's the simple things. It's the little things. Um, it's not the big things. All these guys are capable of making plays. They're capable of playing football. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have been drafted. They would have been scouted uh, and be given an opportunity. It's the small things that they're not doing right. Thomas, um, this is your third visit to the barroom, and we really appreciate each and every one of your visits. Your very first visit, uh, you were with us for over an hour. One of the stories you recalled was your Super Bowl experience. And I'll just never forget the uh, the hair stood up on my arms when you recalled the the frustration and the disappointment, and and, and recalled what happened in game. And uh, after that, so uh, hundreds and hundreds of fans told me, "Wow, I didn't know that about Thomas." It, 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 it's like. Uh, you more fans who loved you loved you even more because of the emotional way you recalled that story. And since then, people have come to me and said, "Can I ask Thomas one more question about the Super Bowl? If you have him on again, and so forth." So Dan Aguirre, one of the show co- show co-hosts here, who is also in love with you, has this question for you. 
Jones, sort of local to you. I was an hour away from Big Stone Gap, Virginia, and the Powell Valley Vikings. I bought your jersey the day, the week 204, when you went to Green Bay and went up there and beat the Packers. So I customized a white T. Jones jersey. And wouldn't you know it, a Monday, Daryl Jones is cut. So I get the T. Jones jersey. And next week, yours just says Jones. So <laughs> my jersey's obsolete before I even get it. But anyway, but something I've always had a theory on. And look, I loved Rex Grossman. I'm not trying to get you to besmirch him in any way. But it seemed like he didn't have it uh, at Super Bowl 41. Maybe it was the rain. But if Lovey inserts Brian Greasy at some point in the second half, could that have been the difference? And you all would be wearing rings here in 2022 for Super Bowl 41 champions. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of theories around that game. Uh, I think there always will be a lot of theories around that game. Um, you know, I, I, I think the Super Bowl is the biggest single game on the planet. So for some people, they're either going to uh, sink or swim. I mean, that's kind of a, you know, a cliche we use in football. And I, I personally think that Obviously, we lost that game as a team. There was something that all of us could have done better to win that Super Bowl. Um, I could have maybe made better reads on certain plays. Um, receivers could have run better routes. We could have not turned the ball over, obviously. Uh, defense, you know, we could have had some mental errors. I mean, special teams, I mean, we fumbled a kickoff return. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we lost. But in regards to just Rex, um, I don't know if inserting Brian Greasy or inserting Kyle Orton would have changed anything I can't say, but I, I do think that the Super Bowl uh, might have been too big for Rex on that day. Uh, I think that was um, just one of those, the game's too big for me days for, for Rex. He, he, he did the best that he could, um, but I do think just as I reminisce on the game and just some of the conversations I would have on the sidelines and just kind of just the energy. Um, because there were opportunities for him to run. There were opportunities for him to throw, check the ball down. There were opportunities for him to throw the ball away. Um, but, you know, just speaking in particular to, to specifically about Rex, I do think that the Super Bowl was just a little bit too big that day. And um, that's not a knock on him. He's an incredible guy. I love playing with Rex. He had some huge games uh, for us and, and came through for us in so many different ways. But, um, I mean, everyone's going to analyze that game. It's the Super Bowl. I'm not any different than anyone else. I'm a football player. I was on the team, but um, it's the Super Bowl. So we're all going to see it as equally important the players and the fans. So I don't know if Brian Greasy would have changed anything, but I definitely think that the game was too big for Rex that day. You know, Thomas, I've been involved in, in four. <laughs> three, three of the games were with the Giants before I came to the Bears. We won two, and then I've lost the, the last two I've been in, the, the 2001 Super Bowl, the Giants against Baltimore, and then the Super Bowl with us and, and uh, where we lost to the Colts and – the one thing I've learned is everything's got to click. And if it yeah. doesn't, things can go sour. I mean, both teams are in the Super Bowl for a reason. They're good teams. And, and you get there, part of it's luck, part of it's it, it's good play. But if things don't click exactly the way you want them to, it can go south. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's there's um, I mean, <laughs> there's 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 minimal uh, room for error in, in those in those type of games, especially the Super Bowl because um, you know everyone is their own point, um, and we had way too many turnovers, way too many turnovers, and we still had a chance. Still, we're driving. To this day, I thought we were going to come back. It's the 22-17 we're driving. I'm like, we're going to come back and we're going to win this in heroic fashion. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't. And like I said, everyone has to take blame in that loss. Uh, there was something that each of us could have done better um, to help us win. But there are key positions that have to perform a certain way um, for you to have some sort of success. Um, and I just don't think we got that that day in particular. Thomas, I ran into uh, Alex Brown and uh, shared with him some of the stories you shared on our podcast. And he said, you know what? I love Thomas Jones. He's my brother, but he's got some of that wrong. It was on the defense. We screwed up that game. We let Joseph Adai run all over us. We should have stopped them. We knew what they were coming with. We couldn't stop them. He shouldn't he, uh, place blame on himself or the offense or anyone else. It was our defense. And so I thought that was just a, a, a stirring moment because it, it really speaks to teamwork where everyone is being held accountable and, uh, and always pointing at themselves first and foremost. Yeah, we we all I mean we're brothers. That was the that was the, the the closest I had ever been on any team. Um, those guys and I was I was only there for three years, but um, I mean they were we we were brothers. We were family. You know, I mean Greg knows he was there. I mean we were a very close knit, tight group. Um, you know, we we um, we believed in each other. We supported each other on good days, bad days. I actually knew Alex Brown. Alex was my roommate. Um, at the Walter Camp All-American um, event in New Haven and uh, in college. Uh, we were both selected to the Walter Camp All-American team. So I, I knew Alex then. Um, and so it was fun to get a chance to play with him in Chicago. He's a great, great defensive end, great football player. Um, but that's what we do. You know, we'll take the blame, you know, and, and we won't put it on everyone else. You know, I, I, I understand where he's coming from. Um, but I would say he's wrong too. You know, uh, we can't turn the ball over and we have to execute. We have to score when we have the opportunity and we didn't. Um, it's teamwork. And, but that's a testament to how much we loved each other and still do to this day. Well, tomorrow is the big day on Amazon Prime Life After, the docuseries that your production company is, is, has a big role in this, correct, Thomas? Yes, yes. I have a production company. It's uh, called Midnight Train Productions. Uh, and my producing partner, Daisy LeRae, and I, um, it's our company. So we have several projects that we're producing. Life After this docuseries is one of them. Um, we also have a TV series uh, called Johnson uh, that we're producing. It's on Bounce TV. Uh, we're co-producing it with uh, Cedric the Entertainer and his company. So it's a really cool show. You can actually download an app called Brown Sugar, and you can binge all 10 episodes from season one. And we just recently finished season two. Uh, so it's a really cool show. It's about four guys living in Atlanta uh, and showing just our brotherhood um, and all the conflicts that we go through in life from relationships to marriage to, um, you know, race to I mean, there's a politics. There's it's a really uh, provocative show. Um, it's on it's on Bounce TV, but you can download the app Brown Sugar. And you can binge all to uh, both episodes, both seasons. And where can people follow you on social media so they can keep track of your uh, your acting career and all the projects you're involved in? Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Thomas Q. Jones. 
Outstanding. And we'll finish this with uh, a statement from Mr. Shorty. He says, you are one of my top four favorite Bears running backs of all time. Thank you for kicking ass for all of us here in Chicago. You are the man, Thomas Q. Jones. You've got a here at, uh, home here at the bar room. Anytime you want to stop by and promote something, just let us know, brother. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on here. So, yeah, I'll definitely reach out next time again. All righty. Take care now. Okay. Thanks, Thomas. Appreciate it. You got it. Oops, sorry, I cut him off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I'm not perfect. But he is, man, oh, man. Uh, He he will post, I I mean, he came out with a movie, I should have asked him about this, where he was an MMA fighter. And oh my goodness, is he cut? This was just two, three years ago. He came out with the movie. He looks like he was ready to uh, handle the rock 20, 30 times in a football game. You have any uh, special recollections of Thomas Jones when he first arrived here? That must have been kind of an odd thing because you drafted Cedric Benson, right? Tell tell us yeah, about Yeah, well, we had we had Thomas before that. Before right. Sed came. And and, okay. and and in all fairness, Sed was a, a lovey thing. That's the player that he really wanted. A lot of it was the the Texas connection. You know, Lovey's from Texas. Sed was from Texas, and 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 Sed was a a uh, all world icon from the state of Texas as a high school player at the University of Texas. Um, drafting Sed rubbed a lot of veterans the wrong way because Thomas Jones was their player. And, you know, so things got off to a sour start for said, and, and the holdout didn't help. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you, that, that guy, that they kicked the, the veterans, the defensive vets kicked the shit out of said <laughs> in, in practice, you know, and probably more so than any other offensive player. And, and uh, it, it, you know, I, I think it put a sour taste in, in, in said's mouth because he was a talented guy. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, the veterans really liked Thomas Jones. And and the I, I said at the beginning of the show, and, and he is the consummate pro. He's a pro's pro. And he his career really took off when he came here. And, you know, first he was with uh, Arizona. Things didn't work out there. Then I believe he was with Miami or it was Tampa, one or the other. And, and then we traded for him, brought him up, and, and we did a lot of work on him prior to uh, acquiring him. And we just felt that, you know, in this situation, he could really take off, and his career did. And, and a great player, and there's nothing he couldn't do well. He could block, he could catch out of the backfield, had uh, great running skills, really good vision, a patient runner, got yards after the catch, you know, there's, there's nothing he couldn't do well and very, very well liked by his teammates. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a, uh, a great chapter really in Chicago bears history. I followed the team, as I like to say from the late 1960s. And while I want every year to be a winning year, I know that's just not going to happen. It's not reality. So I look at, uh, uh, at the game of football, almost like movies, you know, and that era of football, when we got to the Super Bowl with Lovey Smith and guys that you drafted and, and that whole uh, 
time period was a, a great movie with an un, with a sad ending, unfortunately, uh, because we didn't win our second Super Bowl. But it was nonetheless a, a fascinating period to be a, a, a Chicago Bears fan. And hopefully no, we didn't win it. It's a feat getting there. Yes. Yes. It, it, just to get there is, hey, hey there's, there's 32 teams in the league. Two teams are playing on that last Sunday. And and really, reality is at the end of the season, one team's happy. Exactly. And that victory over the Saints at Soldier Field to win the Hallis uh, Trophy, I mean, that's one of the, the best moments of being a Chicago Bears fan, that, that thrill, that performance by – the players, you know, the setting, um, everything was just tremendous about that. And I hate it when, when fan says, "Oh, well, then you're you're a participation trophy kind of guy." No, that 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 has nothing to do with this. To play for the NFC Championship and to win it—that's not a winning a participation trophy. That's being the second best team in the National Football League, and I take pride in that. It's better than the team that we have now, which hopefully is going to get better and time for us to talk about that team. So your th immediate thoughts after the game, uh, the uh, heartbreaking loss uh, to the, who the hell did we play, play now? I'm forgetting who we played, the Washington Commanders. <laughs> and uh, and then after some days of, of, of thinking about uh, the loss, uh, what are your thoughts now? Well, you know, I go back to this, this old adage and, and, Sometimes you, you know, emotions right after a game, you got to let them kind of subside. And sometimes I'm glad I do this, you know, more than a day after a game because it's, you know, you start to look back and you think about it and it's never, a, a win is never as good as you thought the win was and a loss is never as bad as, uh, it seemed when you went through that loss at, at, at the time. So although we've kind of lost connection here, we there, there I'm, we are. I'm here. Yeah. We froze for a okay. second. Yeah. Yeah. It froze up. In fact, I'm looking at the screen now and I'm, I'm kind of frozen on the screen, but you're not. And uh, now I, okay. Now we're back. Now we're back, but it, it's now I'm frozen again. The, uh, this team didn't catch it. There you go. Uh, this team is a work in progress, and it just—I've—I've kind of stayed away from social media a little bit since that game. Obviously, I, I a couple tweets here, a couple tweets there, but not. It—it's it, because people overreact. This isn't a Super Bowl team. This is a team that's trying to to build a foundation to have sustained, sustained success going forward. And I really believe they're doing it the right way. And, and you know, I listened to uh, the Floosh the day after the game and listened to his press conference, and there's not one thing he said that I disagreed with. You know, and then there's some people you, you see on things, oh, boy, well, we should have hired Brian Dable. And you know, from my my talk when we went through the coaching search, that was the guy I wanted. But I'm not disappointed in Fluce. You know, mm -hmm. I did my research on that too, and people I talked to have worked with him. You know, he, he was the right guy. And generally speaking, I favor hiring 
defensive coaches over offensive coaches because defensive coaches, first of all, the success I've had, the teams I've been around with, this, we've had successful teams. We've been led by defensive coaches. Just I think they're 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 a little more grounded, or or look at the big picture a little bit better. But Dayball is is done a great job, and and you know he's a fellow Buffalonian, so I gotta <laughs> I gotta stick up from there. But he did a great job mm-hmm. uh, for the. He grew up in Buffalo, did a great job for the Bills. He's doing a good job in uh, an outstanding job in New York right now, but it's still early in the season, and and that. He had more tools to work with going there. He had a quarterback in his fourth year who had gone through, you know, a couple different systems, but he, he, what Brian does really well is work with, with quarterbacks. And so he's got them, you know, playing pretty darn good football. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me that we see an extension with, Jones in New York in the not too distant future. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the cap situation is, but I think that they feel that, uh, or Dable feels he thinks that they, you know, they can win with him. And it's hard to to find the right guy. Justin is getting better. There's things he doesn't do well. Uh, they they should have won. They, that game was decided by one play. Valus Jones upset punt. If he doesn't up that punt, the Bears win that game. Now, it would have been an ugly win, but it would have been a win. And you think about it. They're two and four. They very easily could be four and two. Or as Joe said, five and one. I I don't know, five and one, but it could easily be four and two. And Mm -hmm. to me, it's, and I, you know, I'm repeating myself, but it's about, building the foundation for future years, finding out who can play, who can't play. I saw one thing and said, this should be the offensive line for next year. And they, you know, different guys are going to be free agents. And one is, you know, Orlando Brown is with Kansas city. Kansas city isn't letting Orlando Brown go. <laughs> and, and it's just not going to happen. They're going to get a deal done with him. And, you know, some of these young guys on the offensive line here are pretty good players. They need to play. I firmly believe from watching uh, Braxton Jones play so far for the Bears, he's got what it takes to be a very good left tackle in this league. What he doesn't have is experience. And it's good. there's going to be games where he's going to get his ass whipped like he did against Washington. Now, the strongest part of Washington's team is their defensive line. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it showed last Thursday night, and he played against a pretty good guy, and, and uh, you know, he got he got schooled, so to speak. He did. But, and, and, and there's weaknesses in his game where he's got to get better. Don't forget, this guy came from, a you know, an FCS level. This guy wasn't at the high – Power five place. He was at Southern Utah. So, uh, you know, and you look at his weight room numbers. Yeah. His, his, I think he did 26 reps. That's pretty good. That means he's a, he's a a 400 pound plus bench press guy, Mm -hmm. but he still needs to develop his lower body, his core strength, his lower body strength needs to get bigger and stronger in those areas. 
He's got the natural traits. He's got the athletic movement. He's got the feet. He's got the bend. He's got long arms that you want at the position. There's little things that he needs. So, you know, what you're, this is a learning year for him. And some of it's going to go good. Some of it's going to go back. His, his run blacking now is, is already very, very good. Mm-hmm. He's got to learn how to pass protect at the NFL level. And the only way you do that is to play. Okay, now there's other guys, and and th- that you know we we got to change. We got to change out. Mustafer just can't cut the mustard, so to speak. You know, and he, too he's bad. Not, he's not. He's not good enough. Yeah. Um, he tries hard, but he's got limitations. Yeah. Uh, Patrick is not anywhere near as good at the guard position as he is as a center. And I'll go back. I I watched every game he played for Green Bay last year at center and he played damn good football, you know, so, and, and they, they were a playoff team. So I believe that they signed him to be a center. It wouldn't shock me that this is the week they make the change. It's just who's going to play left. You know, Cody's got to be out at least another couple of weeks. Who's going to be at left guard. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's the big question. Who do you trust to play left guard right now? Yeah, that's that's the thing. And a lot of people now that uh, uh, Alex Leatherwood has been activated for that 21 day period to determine whether he will be with the team the rest of the season or have to sit out the season during that 21 days. Do you think and you, you you're on record as saying this is a guy we got to mold and not rush into action? Do you think that because of the kind of urgent situation with the offensive line, the need for a left guard so that the team can move Patrick to center, do you think that Leatherwood might be forced into action before he's ready to go? Well, I, you know what? That's up to Leatherwood. Yeah. And, and, and what he does in practice, you know, he was a really good player at left tackle at Alabama. And I don't think he's a left tackle in the NFL. I think he's a guard, but he's been playing on the right side when he was really good on the left side. So if you put him at left guard, that might be the best natural position for him. Mm -hmm. But this guy, you know, it's almost like Justin Fields. He's been criticized so much and been beaten down so much and he's lost all confidence. And that's the toughest thing for a, a, a young player, especially if they're a, uh, a high draft choice and they're not living up to expectations that you, you know, it, it's as bad as the, the fans feel, just think of how the player feels mm-hmm. when he, you know, unless he doesn't have any football character, you know, and a guy who doesn't have any football character, he's collecting the money and he doesn't give a shit. Okay. But the guy with football character and most of the guys coming out of Bellum out of Alabama have really strong football character. They wouldn't have been recruited by Saban if they, if they didn't, Hmm. Uh, you know, this is tearing him apart. You know, this is a guy that, that wants to be a good player, but is he ready right now to become that good player? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and you've got to, you know, you might have to make a, uh, have somebody else in there for a few weeks until white hair is back. Cause they really haven't said what white hair is. In- have you, do you know what white hair's injury is? I don't recall. I don't. Let me uh, take a quick Google search here, but uh, I thought it was an ankle, but um, 
I'm, somebody in the chat knows before I can find. He might have had a high ankle sprain or something, but you know those are four or five week injuries. They put him on IR, which meant he was going to be out at least four weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you got then you can have that three week window to practice before you get get reactivated. Um, but the best line it, it right now to me Le Leatherwood is is a project for next year. Mm -hmm. They got him. They have his contract, and it's let's see what he can do, and then we'll put him in next year. Now, could they end up playing him next week? Damn right they could. Mm -hmm. But we got to see how that you know they got that mini buy, and and if you listen to everything Flu said, they're going through. They're doing basically what you do in the off season. You're going through everything. You're self scouting. You're looking at your 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 play calling what's been successful, what hasn't been successful, looking at why, what are the breakdowns, looking at the individual players, what do they do good, what do they do bad, and then they get back today and start practice again. I don't know what the practice schedule is. I might have a practice today, then they're going to be off a day or two and then come back for a regular game week starting Thursday because it's a Monday night game. But it, it, it's it's really about just – setting the tone for the rest of the season. And being that their their real buy is so late, this is probably a good thing that they had this mini buy. I thought it was unusual when I first looked at it that they play a Thursday night game and then they follow it up with a Monday. So you have a, like 11, 12 days off in between. The, the, looking back, that's probably for this particular team a pretty good idea. Yeah. Um. Chris Watts asked the question, uh, is this team improving? And I and I, I want to extend that question even further because in these press conferences, Luke Getze and Matt Eberflus have said about specifically Justin Fields that he is getting better. Uh, but we're not seeing that statistically. What do you see as a talent evaluator about Justin Fields' development? Is it sort of like the stock market right now going up and down, up yeah, and down? Well, that's a good way of describing it. I, I, he is not confident in himself. That's my opinion from what he's – from the way you watch him play. Like, And who the hell was the commentator uh, for the game last Thursday night? Um, oh, it was uh, Aikman, right? Yeah, on, th on Thursday. Yeah, it, there was no Aikman's on Monday Night Football. It, oh, it was um, Herb Street, who was a you know a, a fellow Ohio State guy, so he knows Justin well. And he pointed like there was a uh, he he ended up running to his right when there was a, a throw, and it might have been Mooney coming across. Mm. He had the guy beat by about a yard, yard and a half, and there was a throw that was there, and. He's just got – he saw it, but he wasn't comfortable making the throw. You saw that he's – you could see watching that end zone tape that he he saw the throw was there, but it was in his mind saying, can I make this throw or am I going to throw a pick? And so he decides to run or whatever, but it, it's like, no, hey, he's there. you got a receiver that's already got separation. Put the ball out in front of him. Mm -hmm. And – uh, the defensive guy isn't going to make the play and you get a first down, you know, if you're, if you're accurate with the throw, I think that's, that's the thing. He's just not secure with what he is seeing 
and being able to pull the trigger as quickly as he wants. Now, you could say that's slow processing. You could, I don't necessarily think that's the right thing. I think it's, and I, I mentioned this before, and I might have wrote about it at Windy City Green, Gridiron. He needs some success. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he needs success early in a game. And then that'll follow up with more success. And then you got to have a short memory when you make a bad play. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is, uh, it is disheartening because there's so many things around him that are not supporting him. And, and you mentioned the Valus Jones fumble, even, you know, when you get a special teams play like that, it just destroys any momentum. It destroys opportunities. It destroys uh, the mojo of the team. There's just so many things that are not working. See, no, that's, that, see, that brings up a question. Okay, so what do you do with Bayless Jones? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I see comments on Twitter. They should cut him. Mm-hmm. Wow. He has a talented football player. And I remember <laughs> this. This goes back to, you know, late 80s. We drafted David Meggett, who became a great returner, Pro Bowl mm-hmm. returner. And a part-time running back, kind of like a Tariq Cohen type guy. And, you know, because he was little. Negat was 5'7", 5'7 and a half, 195 pounds, 190 pounds, and he could run a, a sub-4-4. Four, four. So we bring him to camp. And, and Bill was not all enthralled, going back to tell the story of when we drafted him, because he liked bigger guys, and this guy's foot seven and 100 and you know, at, at time coming out of college, he was about 185. And, you know, I, I remember he, he looks at me and he goes, this isn't a fucking peanut eating contest. <laughs> this is the NFL. So he was kind of pissed at the pick. Then the next day he comes in and he goes, hey, guys, I apologize. That must be a pretty good player. I got three calls to trade for him last night. Mm-hmm. Well, he just looked at no shit, Bill. What do you think? We don't do our homework? (laughs) But then, you know, fast forward to training camp. He couldn't catch a punt to save his life. (laughs) And Bill just took him aside. I remember I was standing right there and just put his arm around him. And Bill usually was a hard coach, you know, and but he, he knew the difference. He knew kids' personality or players' personality. He knew that some some players you had a punch in the mouth and there's other players that you had to give love to. So he just went up to Megat. He goes, hey, look, just relax. Catch the freaking ball and make a play. I'm not taking you out. So get the drops out now and then make some plays when the season starts. So he just what he did is he tried to build up the kid's confidence. Mm-hmm. And it worked. Right. I don't think he dropped a punt the rest of his career. But it, it, he must, the first couple of days at camp, he must have dropped a half a dozen. Yeah, you know, and this whole thing about the breathing exercises, uh, that, I got to tell you, that worries me a little bit because it's reminiscent of Mitchell Trubisky, you know, w- with the corporate leadership books that he was given. And, he, and he'd go up to the podium and basically recite what he's been learning in books. And, you know, I, I just when you, when you get a, a, a franchise, when you draft what you hope is a franchise quarterback, I never, ever, ever have witnessed the quarterbacks 
talking about stuff that's outside of football, yoga, uh, leadership books, and, and stuff like that. They just go out there and and sling it. Um, does that concern you at all that he is like searching for answers? No, it doesn't because players do that on their own anyway. Okay. Okay. They they're they're looking for whatever it is to help them better. Mm-hmm. Whether it's yoga, it's a certain type of exercise. Some will do some martial arts stuff to use their hands better. A lot of it's done during the off season, but they're always looking for something. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't, but here's the one thing. And, and, and I think I'm a hundred percent right on here. That's the hardest position to play in this city, not other cities, this city, because <laughs> for a hundred years, they've been dying for a good quarterback true. and you're not allowed to make a mistake. <laughs> and you know, you're supposed to, he's, he was drafted in the, in the uh, first round, they traded up to get him and he's going to, he's supposed to take him to a Super Bowl, like in two years. That's not possible. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Joe Burrow did with, 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 um, Cincinnati, it was a different situation. Don't forget, you know, the, the stability of the front office and the team and the coaching staff in Cincinnati is a lot different than it was here. They, he, he played for one group of people, got drafted by one group and played for that group for his rookie year. And now it's he's got a rookie year all over again here. Mm-hmm. So he's learning a new scheme. And I went back, I might have said it last week, look what Russell Wilson is doing in in Denver, besides nothing, having to play in this scheme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you're absolutely right about that. And so many people agree. Well, who am I to tell you that you're right? Of course, you're right. No, that's <laughs> my opinion. And, and people don't want to, people don't want to agree with it. That's fine with me. I mean, I always fight back, but so what? I know. I but, like you. <laughs> I'm not like I used to. I, you know, I used to be a dickhead, but you know, I'm, getting, I'm getting older now. <laughs> Have you been told by someone in the family, hey, take it easy with that stuff? No, no. Okay. My, my, my daughter told me once, Dad, there's a lot of people who hate you. And I go, yeah, what's, the, what's your point? <laughs> that's right you i'll tell you what, what now my daughters were happy yesterday because they're they're huge they're both bill season ticket holders mm-hmm. oh Boy, were, they, were they partying last night i bet that was a huge huge game well, let's talk a little bit about that game but let me get a few questions out of the way first danger t takes us back to 2006 and says when you lost that super bowl in 2006 when the bears lost it did you feel the team had a chance to go back. In your opinion, what was missing for a return to the Super Bowl? I, I, I thought going in the game we were going to win. Mm-hmm. But I th- that's me. I always think that. Uh, you know, I think the difference between, in that game was Peyton Manning, you know, being the quarterback that he is versus – uh, a guy who is still trying to grow. And then after that, he got hurt. And when he got hurt, that just destroyed any mobility that he had. Uh, but I, I think that was it, that if they don't have Peyton Manning, we win that game. Mm-hmm. 
you know, especially if they don't have Peyton Manning, that opening kickoff that Devin takes to the house, that destroys them. Yes. You know, but, but, you know, that's, that's the difference between, you know, the good coach, damn good coach and Tony Dungy, damn good general manager and Bill Polian. Mm-hmm. And, and they had one of the best quarterbacks ever in the game and Peyton Manning. So uh, I, I think that's the difference, but do, do you think that, that uh, you still got a chance? Darn right. You think you still got a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes one of the mistakes you make, and, and, and sometimes it's good to bring in people from the outside to give you, to get their opinion of your football team is that you, overrate some of your own players yeah you know you you get a little bit too comfortable with with your own guys and and so you might cut them some slack when you can't you still got to be as competitive as hell and they still got to fight for their jobs mm-hmm. uh yes oh uh falling in love with talent is is like an achilles heel for so many uh, general managers, right? Well, and part of it's you got personal relationships with them too. Yeah. Now, yeah. I didn't, you know, as I said, I didn't know Thomas that well, but there's a bunch of other guys mm-hmm. that I knew very, very well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's just there's certain guys that either gravitated towards me or I gravitated towards them and they felt comfortable, you know, coming up to my office and talking. Alex Brown was one. Alex would always come in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Graham, remember the safety? Uh, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, cause he was a Buffalo kid. He always would, would come up and, and, and talk. And so I had good relationships with some of those people, mm-hmm. you know, and I, a good relationship with Owen, but there's other people that, you know, they go off in different directions, but you, and, and you can't, it's impossible to, you know, have a good relationship with 53 guys plus the guys on the practice squad. Mm-hmm. So, but, but, but there's some that you do and, and, um, you know, and, and you stay friends for life. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Uh, let's go to our next question. A lot of people in the chat room are talking about the improvement that they're starting to see regarding Kyler Gordon. You've been preaching that this guy's got all the tools to be a good cornerback, that we just have to be patient with him. I'd like you to talk about Kyler and the play of Kendall Vildor, somebody else that you uh, hey, now, know how I was going to answer your question. Huh? Look what happened with Kendall Vildor. <laughs> There you go. Uh, just be patient, please, fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it's not a hard word, but it it's learning to play. And don't forget, Kyler Gordon left school a year early. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a full time starter one year at the University of Washington, part time starter the year before that. Uh, the talent is there. He's a rookie, and I keep saying they were playing when um, John, Jalen Johnson was out there playing three rookies in the back, that's impossible. No team does that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and quarterbacks are going to lick their chops. They're going after somebody. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's going to get beat, but he's number one. He's got a short memory. He's competitive as hell. He's got the athletic traits to do it. It's just putting it all together and learning from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. And th- that's what happened with Vildor. Vildor, you know, I guarantee you 98.9% of the fans in Chicago want him run out of town after last year. <laughs> Guess who's a solid part of the secondary right now? 
Kendo Vildor. Vildor. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Homer Cuts wants to know, who do you think might be returning punts uh, Monday night for the Chicago Bears? Probably Pettis. Dante Pettis. Boy. Or, or Edner? Uh, Marset Smith. Smith Marset, whatever his name is. Smith Marset. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, you know, he did it a little bit at Minnesota, and he was a very good returner in college. Mm. The Jazz. But I think Ve- Ve- what Velas has got to do is he's got to earn the trust of the coaches again. Yep. And right now he doesn't have it, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's down. The, the guy who's down on him more than anybody else is himself. Mm-hmm. You know that he he knows he costs this team a game, and you know you look at the replay. I remember when I first the first play in live action, it was like, oh Jesus! And then you see the replay; he slipped. Mm. He just he he lost his footing trying to catch the punt, and, and that happens sometimes. But it was just inopportune. Now, saying that. He's at like the seven yard line. He shouldn't even have been trying to field the kick to begin yep. with. Yep. You know, just let it go and hopefully it doesn't go into the end zone or it goes into the end zone rather. Yeah. And you know, he's a 25-year-old guy. So you would wish that he had the maturity to make, you know, those those decisions. Uh, but uh yeah, he's still a rookie, no matter what his age is. Jazz wants to know about whether you think that Flus's talk of accountability matches what we've seen so far on the field, meaning giving players more or fewer reps based on loafs. Damn right. I love it. No, I, you, you've got to hold players accountable. When you let players get away with things, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to hold players accountable. But and and speaking of accountability, and I, you know, I did it in tweets last week, and then after this week's games, I feel even stronger about it. The league's got to start start to holding referees accountable. That's a uh, topic that I hope to discuss tomorrow on the Dan and Alder show. We've reached out to a member of footballzebras.com, and we'll, we'll hopefully we'll be spending some time talking about that topic. By the way, somebody in the chat room has just uh, reported that Ian Rappaport ha- is saying that the Arizona Cardinals have traded for Robbie Anderson. And the trade involves, um, let's see, well, I, there's no details as of yet, but um, what do you think about I that? Not, but uh, th- there are people who want you know more to come here. Anderson, when Anderson pulled that stunt yesterday, and there had been stuff about him in the past. Okay, I, I wouldn't trade for that guy in a million years. Hmm. Okay, that's the last thing this team wants is a bad guy coming into the locker room. Mm-hmm. No, he's trying to, you know, Flus is trying to build a culture, uh, a culture of accountability. That kid has no accountability. Okay. And he's going to be a distraction. Yes, he's talented. But the last thing you want to do when, when, when you team building is bringing the right people in your team, it's not only the talent, it's mm-hmm. the right personality, the right kind of person. 
I am so with you, you know, to particularly when you have got so many young players who could be influenced, uh, you don't want to bring a veteran in who is going to lead somebody astray. Um, there have been some uh, reports or a report I saw about uh, that the Bears are interested in extending the contract for Darnell Mooney. That, of course, cannot happen until after the season. But Joe asked, what do you think his contract might be worth? Do you think that Darnell Mooney could be approaching that $20 million a year figure that so many receivers uh, of his caliber are approaching and with the new CBA money, uh, the new cap money that's going to be hitting uh, pocketbooks soon? You know, I, I, I'm not trying to straddle the fence here, but I, I really don't have any idea because the market changes year to year. <laughs> and one thing the Bears got going in their favor is that he's still got another year on his contract. Right. Okay, so if you extend him now, you're doing him a favor, so he's got to give you a favor back. Mm -hmm. Okay, and and so maybe it doesn't cost you quite as much. Mm -hmm. You give him some good bonus money. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the the, the relationship between the, the player and the team, uh, you know, meaning the front office. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's a quality player. There's no question he's a quality player. Uh, it, it's, you know, what are they going to pay for him? He's got to just based on what other guys have gotten in the league. He's got to get in that 17, 18 million range anyway. Mm -hmm. And and depending on what his, his numbers are this year, is he a true number one? I think that's, that remains to be seen. Mm -hmm. The true, the, the true number one, might not be here yet. You know, like I looked at Buffalo yesterday, and Stefan Diggs is obviously their number one. And he's and that guy was only a fifth-round draft choice, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he's making number one money, not number one money by this year's standards, but by two years ago's standards when he did his contract. But they, their number two is a guy who's also in his third year, drafted in the, in the same year as Mooney, uh, Gabriel Davis from, uh, I think, Central Florida is the school he went to. It might have been South Florida. But this guy, he, all he does is make freaking plays. Now, he missed some games because of an injury earlier in the year. But last week, I think he had three TDs. Uh, he had one yesterday. And, and he's going to be up. I think you got one more year and then he's going to hit free agency. That guy's going to make a fortune when he hits free, free agency. Mm -hmm. Cause he's a big guy who can run. I mean, he's not a four, three guys, a four, five, Oh, but he's six, three, he's 215, 220 pounds. He catches everything. He's a good route runner. He's a number two in their offense, but he's a number two makes a lot of big plays. And, and the, uh, Playoffs last year against Kansas City, he had four touchdowns in that game. Somebody put up his stats uh, in, in games against Kansas City alone. He's got, like in the last three games against Kansas City, he's got seven touchdowns, <laughs> and he's averaging like some ungodly number. Amazing. Amazing. 
Um, back to the offensive line with this question about Riley Reef. Just in general, why is everyone wants to see Riley Reef in the starting lineup? Why do you think he is not? Oh, <laughs> uh, I know why. <laughs> not, not, well, number one, he doesn't play that good on the right side. <laughs> He's a natural left, and they like what they they want Jones to play. And I don't blame them for that because Jones is the future. Yep. Okay. So now Borum has been up and down. Could you put him on the right side and, and sit Borum a little bit? Yeah, you could do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think Borum's got a, a bright future too. You know, if you compare this point of his career with other guys uh, playing in the league at the right tackle position, he's not a whole lot different. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's with, with some of these guys, it's getting them the experience and that experience becomes invaluable. So, you know, I, they got him. It's, it, they actually got him at a good number because he's not going to play, you know, he, for him to make money, he had to play X amount of snaps. Mm -hmm. And right now that isn't happening. And, uh, you know, Schofield, this guy mentioned Schofield here, you know, he, he didn't look good in the preseason. He looked awful. So that's why he got let go. But they also, you know, you go back to the old adage, if he's on the team for game one, he's, his salary's guaranteed. But if you bring him back after game one, then it's week to week, which is what, exactly what they did. They caught him, caught him and brought him back. Yep. Um, he he can hold the fort. I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he ends up being the left guard until Cody comes back and they put Patrick at center. I think they're going to make a change on the line. I'm just trying to you know read read between the lines from what what Flus was saying uh, when he had his presser on Friday. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get back to a couple of questions from about yesteryear. Mr. Englewood starts with, uh, did Dusty Dvorak start in the Super Bowl that year? What is Greg's opinion of Dusty, who is now a really popular sportscaster and, and, and analyst for college football? What a great guy. Now, that's one of the guys I was close with, so uh, and, and I love the guy, and uh, we remain friends. He's had me on his radio show a few times. Um you should see Dusty what he looks like now compared to what he, you know, he looked like Conan the Barbarian when he was here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, now he weighs about 230 versus 305. <laughs> uh, Dusty was a role player. He started some games, but he played within the rotation. You know, he probably played 45 to 55% of the snaps. Um, he was a wild man. He had a foot problem. And when we drafted him, we didn't know about it. Here's a, an interesting thing about the combine is that they, when you go to the combine, you, you know, they have the, the, the combine people and the teams have your medical records that come from the school. He had a foot problem that was never, disclosed no really mm. so when it's not disclosed then you don't because when, when you get to the combine the first thing you do let's say you've had a shoulder problem and a knee problem you know th th as soon as you get to indy 
they send you off to have an MRI and x-rays so that when you have your medical exam <clears throat> the next day, because that's the first thing you go through is the medical. When you have that, they've already got the pictures taken care of and, and they can look at it and, and go from there. So nobody knew about a foot injury, so nobody looked at it. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm not just talking about us. I'm talking about the whole league. And, you know, in fairness, Oklahoma was kind of famous for that. You know, there, there was stuff that guys had. In fact, I, I think it was uh, Adrian Peterson. You know, everybody knew he had one knee surgery. Reality is he had two. And so, but it's just that they weren't being totally honest with, you know, what they were telling the pro teams about some of their players. Mm, interesting. And uh, does that still happen today where some teams are so – they're trying to push their players from their school so much that they aren't up front with scouts who are coming in for visits? Well, <clears throat> one, it, it, that's an interesting question because I believe we, uh, when we were working in the scouting department here, we had the same guys in the same area year after year after year. Mm. And the main reason is they, they build these relationships with the coaches and you got to find you found people when you make your school call that you could trust. Mm -hmm. The pro liaison might be full of shit when you talk to them. <laughs> and you and and sometimes it takes you a year or two to find that out. And but you've got to dig when you go to the schools and find out who you can trust. And a lot of times it's it's like the academic advisor or, you know, the assistant trainer. I got a dog coming in to see me here. Uh, <laughs> it's his house. He can go wherever he wants. Right. Um, so it, it could be along those lines. And, and he, um, once you really feel comfortable with finding the right people to get you the info, then you can find out. But some of the medical stuff, that comes from the training room. And, and you know, it, it's, are they going to put down on paper everything that happened to a player since the day he arrived on campus? And that's really, really important. And there's some schools that just don't give you honest information. Yeah. And so you can have some hidden things that, that you don't really know about. Interesting. Uh, Bears Country Podcast, uh, Mr. Shorty. By the way, they got a fresh show today, tonight at 7 p.m. Central with uh, Dan Aguirre. And Cliff Victoria is going to be back after um, being away for a couple of shows because of the turmoil down in Florida. But he asked, how did Lovey have so much to say in the drafting of Cedric Benson? Why didn't uh, Angelo override him? Well, well at that time, you go back and it was the 2005 draft, I think. Mm -hmm. The, you know, running backs were still a premium position when it came to the draft. And if you recall that draft, there was three running backs went in the top five. Um, there was no question that he was worthy of, of being at that time being drafted in that spot. But I don't think 
Lovey was as sold as some other people were on Thomas Jones. We knew he was a good player, but you know, you look at the shelf life of a running back, and then you say, okay, see, I firmly believe you got to draft a running back every other year. You know, because of that, that it doesn't doesn't have to be a you know high round pick. Mm-hmm. And now you, you 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 know history shows us now you can get guys in in the later rounds, day two, day three, that are going to be quality NFL backs. Mm-hmm. But I think you gotta you gotta bring one in at, at worst every other year because you gotta keep replenishing. Mm-hmm. Because how many you know it's a big question for the Bears. Are they gonna re-sign? Montgomery to another contract. And a lot of times when you do that, it ends up backfiring on you. Yeah. Because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he might give you one good year on that contract. And then, and when a running back starts to fall off the cliff, it's not like he's going downhill slowly. Boom. He's like on the express elevator from the top floor to the bottom, Hmm. you know? And uh, so that's why teams are, are really cautious about doing that second big contract. If it's me, I try to do no more than three years, you know, but the, but the agent, you know, he, he, he wants longevity. So now you get into a, you know, security longevity, you know, you get into a problem. So that'll be an interesting development. It won't happen until after the season. So sometime between uh, January 1st and, and March, whether, they're able to do him at, 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 at what price, you know, they've got two young guys that got some talent. The one difference like with um, Khalil is that as good as a runner he is, he can't pass protect yet. Yeah. Not yet. And, and that's what, what Montgomery does really well is pass block. And, and you, he can't be your bell cow until he learns how, to become a better pass blocker. Mm-hmm. Last question from that era, uh, and it's from Mr. Englewood. Uh, did Jerry Angelo and Lovey Smith want to get rid of all of Mark Hatley and Dick Duran's guys like this current regime wants to kind of eliminate the polls, uh, um, uh, Nagy guys? Um, another interesting question, because I was here then. Mm-hmm. Number one, when Lovey came in, we so we were already here two years or three years. Lovey came, we came in two, June 2001, and then after the 2003 season, we fired Dick and brought in Lovey in January 2004. But Lovey was bringing in an entirely new scheme, mm-hmm. so we replaced a lot of, and we've talked about this several times, especially along the, the defensive line. We replaced that, except for Alex Brown. We was all new on the defensive line. Uh, and then we, you know, drafted some guys. We had drafted uh, Tillman, I think, the year before. Um, Briggs was the year before. So Briggs was going into a second year. Tillman was going into a second year. Uh, so we had some of those guys, but it really, it was more a change of scheme. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, now, and, and I can't remember all these guys' names. We had the, the, the running back when I first got here, and he had a real good rookie year from Michigan. Oh, a- Anthony Thomas, the A-train? Yeah, and you know he was a stiff-in-the-hip, straight-line runner. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he had a real and, – and I was with the Giants when that uh, – when he got drafted here. But I remember going to Michigan. I didn't have – you know, I had like a fourth-round grade on the guy, and I think they took him in the in the second. I thought he was stiff in the hips. He had limitations. He, and I ended up being right. Mm-hmm. And then we the, – the, the, the funny story was that 0-1 draft. So before we came, they took the receiver from Michigan. And I can't remember his name either. Uh, and he had a foot problem. But I remember Jerry and I were at, and I'm with the Giants, Jerry's with Tampa, and we're at the Michigan Pro Day. And what was that receiver's name? Do you remember what the hell his name was? Oh, gosh. He didn't do a damn thing in the league. <laughs> yeah. And they took him in the in, in the first round. He's a hey, big David, David Terrell? Yes, David Terrell. Okay. So <laughs> – we're at Michigan and Michigan had nice indoor facility and all the players on the team are running their forties and doing their drills in the indoor facility. Mm-hmm. Next to the indoor facility was an indoor track. David Terrell want, wanted to run his 40 on the track and cause he knew it was faster and he's just being a prima down about it. So we had to go all, and he refused. We kept telling him, Do you know what happens when you run on a track? We add to your time. In other words, because the track is a faster surface mm-hmm. and, and we, we transpose it to, um, to grass because grass was the, the, the slowest field turf now and grass are pretty much the same. They might be within a hundredth of a second of each other. But with the old AstroTurf or with a track, a track. If a guy runs a four three five on a track, we're giving him a four five zero because that's how much faster those hard track surfaces are than running in grass or on on uh, field turf. So we kept telling him, "Your, your time's going to get adjusted." I don't care. I want to run. So it was like we have to wait till everybody's done with with that workout, then go over into the other field house next door so he could do his stuff there and then the shoes weren't right and he has to go back to the locker room to get the right shoes and he's got like track shoes on so he tried and he still didn't run that great and i remember saying because <laughs> this is a funny thing you know again jerry's at tampa and i'm at new york we had no idea neither one of us had any idea we we're going to be in chicago the next year and or a couple months later, really. All right. All right. And, and I, I put my arm around here. I go, hey, big dog. I go, aren't you glad we're not going to have to put up with this asshole? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so right. my first day here. Jerry goes, we spoke too soon. <laughs> that is hilarious. And here's a funny one. Mr. Englewood claims that he got that David Terrell got busted running a cannabis trap house across the alley from him on 39th and Barry. True story. So not only did he want to run on grass, but he also wanted to sell grass. No, he wanted to run on a track. He didn't want to run on grass. Oh, that's right. That's right. right. I messed up the joke. But 
yeah. Uh, and, that, and then it was illegal. Now it would be no big deal. <laughs> that's right. But, yeah. I, you know, and he was, he, he never, he had a foot problem. He had a, a broken, kept breaking his fifth metatarsal, I believe it was. Right. And for a receiver, that could be a bitch of an injury. Man. And uh, it doesn't sound like it is, but it, it's just for some reason, it can, it, unless a surgery is perfect, it just can be a, a bitch. And, you know, so he never really lived up to expectations. But I think we knew it. We inherited him because they had taken him in, in April and we came in June. But I think we knew it right from the start. You saw that, you know, he was a prima donna. Um, that he thought he was bigger than the team type of guy. And, and that turned out to be exactly right. Unbelievable. All right. To finish the show, I want to play a quick game of true or false. I'm going to make a statement. You tell me whether it's true or false and add some uh, uh, explanation as to why you feel it's true or false. First one, Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl. I hope so. <laughs> so that's true. <laughs> they look like the best team in the NFL, and I would—I wouldn't—I'm not going to say by far, but holy cow, man, that team looks great. Their their best chance to win the Super Bowl was at their first one, Super Bowl twenty-five against us, the Giants, mm -hmm. and they, you know, they they missed the field goal. Oh gosh! So, um, but there was a funny story because I lived in Buffalo. My whole family was in Buffalo and we're at the game. And so the day after the game, I'm flying back to Buffalo and I'm at the, the Buffalo airport down in the luggage area waiting for my bag. And I had, cause I had gone down to Tampa early. You know, I was the, the that particular week, it was during the, uh, the Gulf war. And there was only one week between the league championship game and the uh, and the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know why, but that was the case. So anyway, I ended up going down to Tampa like on a Monday, and then my family came down on Thursday. Uh, but I had a big Giants duffel bag, so it's blue and red with the Giants and the big line underneath it. You know, the big Giants logo, and so that's coming through the luggage carousel at the Buffalo airport the day after the game, that poor bag got the shit kicked out of it. My <laughs> <laughs> fans, you know, and all I could do was laugh. I mean, you know, yeah, right. I didn't laugh. I might've got killed, but <laughs> indeed. All right. True or false. Aaron Rodgers will never play in another playoff game in his career. I would say that's false. Really? I was going to say true. Really? Well, I'll tell you what, he took a beating yesterday. Yeah, it, it looks awful. He didn't look like he wanted to play either. Yeah. Uh, that Packers team has a lot of talent. When you look at the talent they have on defense, it's to me it's incredible they're not playing better. So uh, Joe Barry, I believe, is the defensive coordinator, so he's probably on, uh, on the hot seat. But that offense looks awful without Devontae Adams. Really awful, and that pass rush uh, yesterday that uh, Rogers faced, boy, that, I was going to say poor Aaron. Oh, he, he took some big hits. Oh my goodness! And, and you know, I, there are people joking around before they actually did say he, he's not going to make it through this game, and he didn't. But they just, you know, when 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 the Jets went up by seventeen, they just yanked him and said, "Hell with it." Mm -hmm. 
And then finally, my last true or false is the Bears are going to win on Monday night against the New England Patriots. What say you? Uh, Right now, I'm not feeling good about that, but I want to see what the changes are. The only problem is we're not going to know what the changes are until next Monday night. Exactly. You know they're not going to tell you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I I like that they're going to have that long break Mm -hmm. and, and... you know, and probably install some new things, but don't. And and the, the little sideshow to this game is Belichick is wins that game. He becomes he breaks George Halas's record. Don't you think he wants to do that against Chicago? You know, so and I think he's the best coach in the game. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to the next two games are tough. The, the schedule maker wasn't good. Four out of five games on the road. Mm-hmm. at this part of the schedule and then the next two are tough ones with new england and dallas mm. that uh second string quarterback for the patriots zappy is looking pretty good he's pretty awesome. yeah. they're calling me again yeah. <laughs> um looking really good so um in any case that's our show for today uh greg and i will be back here uh probably on tuesday after the game if not tuesday then wednesday if not wednesday then thursday (laughs) Uh, we'll we'll let you know on social media the best way to stay on top of what we're doing here at the barroom network is to subscribe to the youtube channel or just uh download our podcast itunes spotify you name it we're there greg any final words for your fans no, let's just you know I keep saying it and they don't want to hear it, but you got to be you got to be patient. I laugh. I see some of these comments that I just laugh. The overreaction and then some some of the some of these Twitter heroes with some of the suggestions that they should do, and you know, two or three years ago I would have said, "Are you out of your?" You know, <laughs> yes. and now I just you know let them say what they want. Yeah, it is. It, 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 when you're going through something like this, and, and again, Danny Shimon, your pupil, uh, when you were teaching your class on draft scouting, said it really well on Bear Football is, we should have known that this was what we were in for. This is a rebuilding team, and it's going to be painful when you're making so many changes uh, in scheme, in player personnel, and so forth. We shouldn't be complaining. We should be preaching patience, just like you've been saying. So he learned well from you, uh, Greg. Well, you know, there's, there's one thing. It, it's not like they're getting blown out. Right. They're in every game. No. And, and like I say, a couple different bounces of the ball, and they're four and two. Mm-hmm. Um, then he's got here crazy what Dayball's doing in New York. And, and Dayball's doing a, a, a hell of a job in New York. He's also got a quarterback in his fourth year. Mm-hmm. You know, and and – that and you, you were, as you, as, I'm sorry to interrupt that. As you said earlier in the show, you were for Dable uh, winning this Bears job. Oh, I, I, I well, I'm not going to tell you one thing I did, but uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'd tell you off the I'm not going to put it on there, but yeah, no, that's the guy I wanted. That was my number one guy. I mm-hmm. did not know, I, I knew about Flus. Um, I felt a lot better when I talked to Chris Ballard mm-hmm. about it, you know, and since he's been here, I, I can honestly say I don't disagree with what he's doing. I totally agree with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's holding players accountable. Uh, he, he's running things in a very professional way. Uh, if you listen to his press conferences after the game, and like especially the day after the game and then during the week, 
He always deals with the positive. He's not deal. He throws out the negative. Yeah. He deals with the positive. And that's the exact opposite of what the media and sports talk. That's all they talk about here is the negative, mm-hmm. which drives me batty. But that is what it is. But he's dealing. He knows he's got a bunch of young players, 14 rookies on this team. I've never been around a team that had 14 rookies. Yeah. I checked uh, a month ago, and I think the highest number for an NFL team was 11, uh, and then the average was like four or or four to six. So yeah, it is quite quite a bit. Yeah, and, and so it, it it's a matter of of teaching these guys how to play, how to become pros, and in the long run, it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. Jordan says that uh, it's something that he has said. The Bears would always be a tough out. My issue is that the Bears are losing and underachieving in the same games Dable and New York Giants are pulling out. And uh, as I told you, uh, Jordan, in a tweet, uh, is you're talking about a quarterback who has about 30 more starts under his belt than Justin Fields, and you're talking about uh, a team that had 14 draft picks in the top 116, no, not 14, but they had a, more than double the amount of draft picks in the first four rounds than the Bears had. So uh, to state that they started off equally is not true. The Giants had more resources. And so the comparison between what the Giants are doing and the Bears are doing is different. They're, they're, the Bears- their starting tackles are both – One's a top five and the other's a top seven, top mm-hmm. eight, top yep. eight pick. You know, I mean, th- they got <laughs> some people at key positions. Now, granted, Gettleman made some mistakes in drafting. Uh, I don't think Joe Shane made any mistakes this 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 past year, but they've got some good guys too. And uh, they got some decent players in free agency. That Their approach was a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I, I, I think these guys came in knowing that they were going to strip this franchise down. Yep, they were going to take it apart and build it back up. That was not what they were going to do in New York. Yep. So it was a whole different philosophy. So to compare the two is really comparing to apples and oranges. And I, you know, it, it's to me it's just ludicrous that people want to talk about it because they're not the same team and it's not the same situation. Right. I mean, you know, it's how, you know, how they wanted to handle things. And uh, I I think they're going about it the right way. They made too many mistakes here over the previous five years. They Mm -hmm. got themselves in in a hell of a cap hole and for going forward. They had to clean that up and he's cleaned it up one year. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes you can't do that. But in order to do that, you're going to get punched in the mouth a few times. Right. J2K, who has been very critical of Poles' approach to building the offensive line, is asking you, could Poles perhaps started with building the offensive line, rebuilding the offensive line instead of the defensive backfield? Well, you know, that, that's a good question, but it's you've got to go with your board. Okay, so – I don't know what their board looked like. Mm-hmm. If they're if they had a tackle or a couple tackles there or a guard and a tackle or something like that, rated a lot higher than a safety in a corner, maybe they do. Mm-hmm. But I know one thing: it, 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 
your best success to have a good secondary is to draft it because you got to overspend to get them in free agency. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. Let's leave it there. I mean, we could talk for another hour just on this topic alone and we'll, uh, we'll devote more time uh, to this topic as, as the weeks go on and uh, we'll see at the end of the season, what the giants, uh, uh, by the way, kudos to the giants to, for them to pull off that game against the Ravens yesterday was fantastic effort. And I applaud that organization and I, applaud Brian Dable and that Giants defense has just been so surprising to me uh, and what they did there is incredible so hopefully we can say some nice things about the Bears next week so um, with that I will say goodbye and let people know that Bears Country podcast is live at 7 p.m. Central tonight and then Dan and Aldo tomorrow night uh, and all sorts of Bears programming the rest of the week Greg Gabriel you are the absolute best and my very best to Thomas Jones make sure you check out his new Amazon Prime series that drops tomorrow called The Life After. And that's it for tonight. Take care, guys. See you later.